Oh, nice. Hello, welcome to the 538 Presidential Election Podcast. That's <laughs> fitting. I mean, shows of my committees. Podcast where myself, Josh Herrick, Christopher Munden, and John Rosenberg win every Pulitzer Prize winning play and musical since 1918. So you don't have to, or so that you'll read or watch or listen along with us. Um, I am Josh Heron. I am a uh, Philadelphian, a third grade teacher, a voter. Um, and I am joined by uh, Angelino, uh, John Rosenberg. There's a 100% chance Chris hated both these musicals. Wow. A, uh, a poll we Hate's can- a strong word. <laughs> you have to be carefully taught how to hate, I hear. Um, and joined by resident Brit and non-voter, Christopher Munden. Hello. Um, uh, before we even get started, it is 1950. South Pacific has won the Pulitzer Prize for Drama, um, being the second musical to achieve that. Although, um, as we'll probably talk uh, about tonight, um, Oklahoma did win a Pulitzer, a, not for drama, but a special Pulitzer um, a few years earlier by the same team, Rodgers and Hammerstein, and changed the course of the American musical uh, for the rest of the 20th century. Um, how, how did it do that? We'll get to that, Chris. Don't, don't rush. Oh, wouldn't that be a good place to begin? Well, I think first we should start with a summary for those folks at home. <laughs> Granted, I'm sure everyone knows the plot of South Pacific, as it is a, again, classic American musical. Um, oh, goodness. South Pacific is based on the, I am ready, uh, the work of uh, James Mershner. Um, Mishner. Mishner. Mishner, yeah. Um, his book, Tales of the South Pacific. Um, the musical actually launched him into um, fame, um, showing how important it was and is. Um, and it tells the story of a troop of Seabees or um, naval construct uh, sort of shipbuilders in the South Pacific um, on a, uh, I guess, an island where we would imagine like Tonga, um, sort of based on some contextual clues. Um, and um, it focuses on nurse, uh, the nurse Nellie Freybush. Um, who is in love with the French planter, uh, Jerome, is his name right? No. Emile? Emile, excuse me, Jerome, that's his son. Um, and we also um, see the exploits of um, Lieutenant Cable, a, a spry young Philadelphian um, in the South Seas, um, who falls in love with uh, a, uh, an islander, Liot, and her mother, um, Bloody Mary, we encounter. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the play is sort of about these two sort of uh, love stories. Some might call them undercooked. Um, Some might. Uh, and they deal with, uh, Emile has uh, multiracial children, and Nellie has to deal with her prejudice of that. Um, Cable is in love with a Polynesian woman um, and has to deal with 
how he can understand himself in terms of that. Um, and there's a bunch of like horny Navy men sort of around just causing some, some fun havoc. Um, I wouldn't say the plot is super. Uh, it's super, super thin. Yeah, some might call it thin. Um, especially in comparison to actually some other Roger Hammerstein musicals. Um, I think it's like, I think it's sort of remarkably thin. I was, I was surprised by that. We might start there. Wait, it's a strange book to adapt. I haven't read this, Michener, but I've read other ones and they're not like narrative stories. They're usually like about a place and kind of like almost anecdotes about that place. Sometimes history of that place provides a structure, but it's not like a novel that you would adapt. No, I'd it? call it more like a collection of short stories around a place. And I think, um, and that's, that's, there are several very successful musicals that sort of take from that. Fiddler on the Roof is based on a series of short stories around Tevye the mm. Milkman. Um, the musical Cabaret is based on, um, I mean, it's based on uh, I Am the Camera by Christopher Isherwood, but um, they're sort of, several sort of moments in that that it combines um but yeah this he takes they take a lot of liberties with this and they and they meld stories together and they take things apart um uh but certainly south pacific is not like the book is does not follow the same sort of narrative arc so um, let me ask why both of you feel like the plot is so thin i mean what I don't know happens the, i don't know if the plot is th i think it, it's just like I think that not much happens in this play. Like, and we have some songs and, but like, there's not a lot of like, you don't get a lot of development of any of these characters. Um, which is interesting because it isn't like a musical comedy. Like it, it's like a musical drama, which I think is interesting. Um, but even, com again, like even comparing Roger and Hammerstein to themselves. Like, I think their other work has like more. Um... Yeah, I'm not familiar with their other work except for in preparation of this piece, I watched Oklahoma movie and, and that didn't have a deep plot, but at least it had, it had more in a sense. This, yeah, I mean, I mean the crux. I think of like, if you think of Oklahoma, right, which again, did win a Pulitzer, but not the Pulitzer for drama. Like if you think of like Ado Annie and Aunt Eller and Curly and Lord, like all of those characters are much more well-defined in me than like, I don't really know much about Emil. I know that he like killed someone. He's yeah, like, he killed someone, but he did it for the right reasons. Right. Like Cable is like just straight up male ingenue, like, there isn't a like defining feature in his, like, I couldn't tell you anything about him, except he's like, ultimately like not racist. Um, I don't know about that. Uh, like, I would say that like the character pieces are really interesting and, and that makes sense. I think like character roles of this time are written, like I think uh, Billings is sort of that like entrepreneurial, like Navy guy who gets into trouble um, I think is sort of clever. I think Bloody Mary is an interesting part, um, if a little racist and like broadly drawn. Um, but I don't think that like, I think Racistly that- Racistly like, drawn, you mean? Yes. Um, and I think that like, 
but I don't think the main people that we are, the main four people we're supposed to root for, Emil, Nelly, Liat, or Cable, or either any of the four of them are particularly like well drawn, or, or I don't really see the like. You you hear a lot about how much they love each other, but you don't see why necessarily. Um, I guess, and I, I guess that is why the show is like when you do see it, it is in song, right? Like, some enchanted evening and twin soliloquies early in the play sort of sets up the dynamic of um, what Emil and Nelly feel for each other, and. Um, is it uh, young in springtime sort of sets up the uh, able relationship? <laughs> he likes her because she's younger than spring. Um, <laughs> but again, and while that might be cheesy or whatever now is like why I think these musicals, Oklahoma, Carousel, which was written in between and, and South Pacific are seen as sort of these like these works that really change. If we think about um, of the I Sing, like songs did not tell us anything about the characters. Like they didn't move anything forward. Like, to you know, these songs, I think so. I mean, I think that like it's it's the it's the it's it's actually where insight is is given, and I think that like even the fact that songs are meant to like not just entertain or be spectacle or distract, but like can riff on an emotional theme. They riff not... on an emotional theme, but it often we're often left. They take three minutes to say one sentence. But it's a deep sentence. It's a sentence that's deeply felt. That's a musical. Hmm. You're right. I mean, it, it's, it's... I mean, it's tough. Yeah, I'm not... We've gone over this, and I'm not a fan of musicals. And, and I felt, you know, after reading, we've read, like, 30 plays, kind of learning more and more, like, how to read plays, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And I felt like... I don't really know how to read a musical. Right. I mean, I think I felt that too, even, and I'm someone who like loves musicals, but I haven't read a ton of them. Um, and it, it, like, I think, and I was talking again to a friend of mine about how like weak the plot is. And he was like, well, that's all musicals. And, and I was like, no. And I was like, bringing examples. And, and this is a person who, who likes musicals, right? But I think that like, when you see a show, and see a musical, I think it might be, and, and this is really like, I, I'm weirdly like hypothesizing around something I love and know a lot about, but like thinking about it in this abstract way is sort of hard for me. I think musicals might be like, the sum might be greater, like the, the whole might be greater than some of their parts. So I think that like, when you're just reading the book and hearing the songs, but not seeing the whole thing, it like, and it, it can feel disjointed. And for me, I read, and I would read to the point and then listen to a song and read along the lyrics. Too, that's how I did it, yeah. Like, and I think that can feel a little like, it can, it can feel um, disjointed in a way where like, I think a play can be a, a real like literary experience, especially if it's a good play. Um, and I don't think that like the, and the book, like the script, right, of a musical is just one sort of part of it. And I think like, inarguably the book of South Pacific is not on par with like, you know, we just came off Arthur Miller and Tennessee and Williams, Williams, right? So. Like, I don't think these books are is like, but I think like they're not even the same. Well, they're not the same thing. But that's I think what's interesting is they're I think not the same like, thing. But an American, but the American musical is an art form, and I think like I think it's I think it is a little bit of apples and oranges. Yeah, but I think the Pulitzer has decided like I, given how like what we're going to see, we're going to see it like you know about a musical a decade win. It seems to me like the Pulitzer has decided that like the American musical is a thing that is worth 
acknowledging and celebrating. Especially when it, yeah. in, in its own terms, sort of. When it, right, like, when it really, like, and I think we'll see this. But I'm, I, and I don't, I don't think we have the sample size to really understand what the committee is, like, looking for when they award it to musical. In the Tonys, they give out separate prizes, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's four. There's, you know, best musical, best revival musical, best But, like, a musical isn't eligible for best overall production or something? Like they separate them. Best play, best musical. Yeah. I mean, even the acting categories are separated, right? It's like best. Um, best actor in a musical, best actor in a play. play. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and what's interesting is there isn't, so in a musical, there is best, like music and lyrics. I don't think there's a best book award. And there's not like a, be- like it's best play for the Tony, but there's not like best like text mm-hmm. um is it best music yeah i want to look best up song story. not best song I mean, but best, be, like best score best music it's strange it, i mean it is a it's hard for me, it's hard for me to know how to judge it because i come from you know i love theater i love plays and i also i used to play music i kind of like used to write about music too i, I like music and and I judge the drama from against plays, and I judge the music against like music. And I, to me, it feels like both of them they fall short in both those judgments. And this, so there is best play, and that's an award that goes to the author and the producer. Yeah. Right? So like. The, it's interesting. The play is like both the script and the production. That's one award. And the Tonys. A musical is best musical, and that's like the production. Mm-hmm. And there's a separate category for best score, which is music and lyrics, and best book, which is the script. Oh. Hmm. But, um, but they didn't have that distinction. Um, I, I did uh, look up because of you know we watched uh, or we listened we read um, Death of a Salesman and and uh, and uh, Streetcar Named Desire back to back before this and it seemed weird that this it's kind of a change of direction to give award to this I mean, why oh. why did you like this Josh if you did like it it's not my favorite so I I should I should catch a lot of this. So I love musicals. Roger and Hammerstein, like the really old, again, I consider Roger and Hammerstein, um, which is the birth of sort of like, again, the modern book musical. I think of that as like pretty old <laughs> in terms of like what I like. It is old, I guess. It's 70 years old, this musical. Um, so like not my favorite musicals in general and South Pacific is like certainly not my favorite Roger and Hammerstein musical. Um, and like, I didn't find a lot of love for it as I read it again. Um, but maybe you saw it as a good example of a musical from that time, is that? Yeah, well, no, I think of it as just like, it's important, right? So I think it's hard to understand just like how, like, and again, it's someone who loves the form, it like, you know, no South Pacific, no, <sighs> maybe like no early Roger and Hammerstein musical, no Gypsy, no Stephen Sondheim, none of these things that I really love, right? Like, mm. um, 
It's sort of like the Beatles. I don't like love the Beatles, even though I've, I've listened to it now. But all musicians that you love probably do. Yeah, right. Um, so I, I just want to jump in because yeah, I think sorry, there's something. No, 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 no. I, I think there's something very. I, I really like South Pacific. Um, I always have my whole life. And I know me and Chris were talking the other night. Like the musical itself, it, it, I feel like it has a very special place, like in my own personal imagination. Um, but I think there's something very interesting that, you know, you go from a streetcar named Desire to uh, Death the Salesman to this one. And I feel like I almost didn't really ever appreciate musicals in a way until now. And just thinking of like, I guess when I think of Death of a Salesman, you know, in those scenes where they're talking about the possibility of a dream or like, we're going to turn it all around. We're going to go see this guy. We're going to get the sale. You know, the brothers are going to start doing the sports line or like, even when I think of Blanche Dubois and I think of like, the dreams that she has in her mind, I guess what was interesting to me is there's something very strange about South Pacific is that it takes place in the middle of a brutal war. And, you know, the war in the South Pacific was, you know, they always compare it with like the European theater, but like it was beyond brutal, like the, the fighting between the Japanese and the Americans. And I was saying this to Chris, there's something interesting where like in the American imagination, it became the new frontier that kind of disappeared after the genocide of the Indian. And so I feel like it's very interesting that they set this musical in a place of such brutality and the story is so romantic and the songs are really beautiful and also haunting. And there's, I guess, I guess the point I'm trying to make is I never thought of musicals in a way as a dreamscape and the songs themselves are the dreamscape of a life or something that you can't put into words. So, you know, I think of like, if you were to make South Pacific the play, <laughs> what that would look like versus South Pacific the musical. And I think it's really, really, I, I dig what you guys are saying that like the plot is thin or whatever, but like, it's an interesting play about choices to me in a place where people had no choice. You know, like none of them have control over their lives in a certain way. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I think like on an imaginative level, it is very, very powerful and very beautiful. And it's something that I enjoyed revisiting. And I think of, in terms of, like, I think Roger Hammerstein are very much aware of that dream, that dream component. So yeah. This is their third collaboration after Carousel in Oklahoma. And both of those had like these sort of um, very stylized dream ballet sequences. Um, yeah, the, the one in Oklahoma. Um, and uh, South Pacific doesn't have that. So that was like a noticeable change. Um, um, but I, I think that that's the thing. I think that like, I think that musicals often play with like, I, I, I think that there's like, there's often a, like a knee jerk, like, oh, People don't like not realistic. People don't say no, 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 no. And it's like, and, and, and I, I gotta say that that is that, sorry, but that is the knee jerk response I would have to musicals for the most part. And I think what was interesting for me is revisiting yeah. uh, South Pacific. And where I don't, I never. It always held an interesting place in my imagination, but I never loved it. 
Right. But like, it is very, very powerful on a romantic level in a way that I didn't expect it to be. I mean, and also like, I think at the time, I mean, this was like, and this is sort of, I mean, except for like Hamilton and that even is like a little like, not that sort of occupies a different thing, but like this show, like every song in this show was a fucking hit. Like, um, Dude, the, the songs are fucking good. I mean, they're, like, and they're like, but like some enchanted evening was everywhere. Wash the man out of the hair was everywhere. Promo, like, right? Yeah. Like all of the, like these, this was like a huge deal. Um, wow. In a way that like, I don't think, and even the year before, like, so we start the show with like the top song of the year. Um, the top song of 1949 was a cover of some enchanted evening or not the top song, like the third or fourth top song. Um, if we looked at album, like this album was a huge bestseller. Um, well, I, I think it's interesting because what this play does is, you know, I, I keep going back to that play that, what was it, the 1946 one that almost talked about the terrible responsibility of America after the war ended. Do you know, do you remember what I'm talking about? Oh, was like the entering, State of the Union? Yeah, like entering the atomic yeah. age and just like the sobering reality of that. This goes like a very, very different direction. And I feel like for Americans growing up or like coming of age or even being in their thirties after that war, what this must've done to their romantic ideal of what happened a few years ago is so fucking powerful. Um, I did, I did appreciate that it, you know, it, it's this uh, terrible theater and the first act is, is like a silly love story. And, but it did get serious and tragic and deadly. We, it all happens off stage, but the second act, um, one of the main characters is killed. Yeah, and I, another I, is presumed dead, right? I fundamentally do not understand that and I challenge anyone to explain to me like what um, like war machination is happening in this play um, involving the islands and the submarine. Like I, oh, it's possible like, that it was a real Canal. story, yeah. Yeah, because this is like this is like 1943, and with Guadalcanal, with the slot, right? You're saying words. I don't know. Yeah. Um, major Pacific battle. Um, so I would believe that 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 story of the two people, although inserted into this plot, was maybe one of the plots in a short story in a entails of the South Pacific, right? Or something that happened that Mitch knew about. Um, I, it wasn't clear exactly what their mission was or how they were communicating. But, uh, but yeah, that was but it's fine. But it's interesting because I, I remember when this was coming up, I remembered from when I was a kid, I was trying to remember what I remembered from South Pacific. And all I... The feelings I had was that it was very beautiful and that something tragic happened in it, you know? And it was something far away that happened. And like, I don't feel that way about like most plays or musicals, but like this one, I don't know for whatever reason, cause you know, my parents had it on record and I would listen to it, but like, yeah. Another thing I wanted to talk about, and I, I it really rings like pretty, uh, thin 
I think, by today's standards. But the, like, racial politics of the show were really seen as a big deal. Um, well, it was probably progressive for its time, even though I don't know how you would stage this show. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, people were, like, people did not think that, like, the talk of, like, interracial dating and, like, biracial children, like, belonged on the American stage. Like, as it, like, producers wanted to cut that song, there's a song you have to be carefully taught how to say. I'm actually going to play the beginning of it because I think it's sort of a, it's like a, it's an interesting song and I, it sort of has a jaunty, it's a jaunty little song about uh, racism. Yeah. You've got to be taught to hate and fear. You've got to be taught from year to year. It's got to be drummed in your dear little ear. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to... So this part in the play, Emile, um, who has been rejected by Nellie for having biracial children, for having, you know, married a, uh, a uh, Polynesian woman, um, by Nellie is sort of, you know, wondering about what to do and, and thinking about um, how people can be that way and, and... Yeah, I mean, we should say that's a crux of, like, the end of the first act, is, like, yeah. she is horrified that he was ever with a non-white woman and has non-white kids, and she's like, I can't be with you because of this. <laughs> but, I, and I think it, but, but I think it's smart. I think it's smart in the way that they do that, though, too, actually. Um, as I will say, I think because, like, she is, like, the quintessential, like, nice white lady, and I think for a play in 1950... Was she from like, Arkansas? Little Rock, right? yeah. I think, Rock, yeah. I think for, like, you know, this really, like, this sweet ingenue white lady to have these feelings that I think the audience at the time either identified with or didn't, but then, like, ultimately, like, redeems herself or, like, changes them, you know? Like, I mean, again, Barr being, like, in the basement. Um, like, the bars couldn't be lower. But I think that, like... It is interesting that like, like Nellie is a like a banal racist, right? She's like a, and she changes and grows, but she's not like a, a caricature, like a, you know, like she's a, we see her as sort of, uh, as this person who, who should be better and, and isn't. Um, and then I think that's the, at that song, Emil is saying like, is she born this way? And, and I think that that's a really hopeful message, right? That we're not born, that racism is not something that is in our blood, but it's something that we are, I mean, I think the discourse today is like, it's not that carefully taught, right? It's just the society we live in um, <laughs> inundates us. It's not like an evil plan. Um, but I think the idea that like racism is something that like exists outside of us and we internalize is I think an idea that, um, you know, we still hold I mean, it. I think it's incredibly progressive if we look at, like, the plays we've read up to this point. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Streetcar had presented integrated New Orleans. That, that to me is, that to me was, that, that was, like, dressing, or that was, like, the sure, soulful playing of Negroes but... in the background, but, like, one of the main characters wasn't african-american do you know what i mean like there wasn't there wasn't a moral question i guess one of the main characters is in this is played in yellow face probably at the time you know not anymore 
I mean, um, right, but it missed Saigon. Jonathan Price was playing the dude in the '90s. You know what I mean? Um, I will say that I think, but to like to 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 stick to like the, I think the the facts of the production is producers told them to cut that number, and they knew it was going to be problem. Like they like you know if they wanted to tour the South, that was going to be an issue. Um, and Roger Hammerstein um, w- wouldn't back down. They said that this is what the play is about. That they they felt really strongly about it. Um, you know, and I think we can feel whatever about um, about how that message is held up. If it held up well, or if it didn't, I'm certainly sure that there are elements of this production um, and the way that the uh, Leah and Bloody Mary were characterized that like would would make us totally cringe. Um, but I think that you know, for um, I think you know, next time, yeah, Klitspa. Um, I mean, granted, they were just coming off of two huge hits, so or maybe and maybe a third flop. This might have been their fourth show together, um, so they probably had some clout. But they, you know, they stuck to their guns. What do we? Um, did you prefer Oklahoma, Chris? Uh, yeah, I, I did prefer Oklahoma. I think um, maybe maybe because well, for Oklahoma, all I did was watch the uh, the fifties movie version. For this, I didn't. I've never seen it staged and I just read the script and listened to the soundtrack. So, you know, maybe, maybe that, but, um, I thought, why'd you prefer it? Uh, it held, held together better dramatically. And uh, maybe, maybe because of the context, the music, the songs, um, seem to resonate with me more. Uh, I mean, mean, it's still, I, you know, I tried and I I didn't like either of them very much. (laughs) I mean, I think think the songs sort of do more, like, to further the plot and sort of that premise of, like, this being important. Um, I wanted to, I've been talking to you both about the the recent revival of Oklahoma, and I did sort of want to put on um, a song that I think really, like, resonates with this. This is a song where... um, Judd Fry, who's sort of in this production is framed as sort of like a incel, um, but like sort of a, a loner, a, sort of a dangerous guy. That's um, kind of how he's presented, yeah. Yeah, um, this is um, Lonely Room from the revival. The floor creaks, the door squeaks. There's a field mouse nibbling on a broom. And I sit by myself like a cobweb on a shelf by myself in a lonely And that's where he decides to take action, right? So this is all like internal monologue or like a Shakespearean soliloquy, but set to music. Um, do you uh, think Rogers and Hammerstein did something terrible that they felt should be forgiven? Because I noticed in both of these plays, someone is a murderer, and then they just—it's like that's fine. You did it for the right reasons. I don't know. Were they in <laughs> the war? Were they in the war and killed people? Or no? I mean, I think there's a lot of like imperialism. In, like, if you think about Oklahoma, right, being in like. Uh, like that was one thing it, it completely writes out American Indians from oh, the... totally um, like that you have South Pacific right you have the King and I where there is like 
very weird. Is that them too? Oh yeah, very weird. Like, um, there's that play. Really, there are parts that really do not hold up well, um, <laughs> including a like Thai ballet retelling of Uncle Tom's Cabin. That um, I don't know how you resolve that in 2019. Um, anyway, um, but. Um, I, I, I guess I'm thinking about like how potent these years are, right? So like Oklahoma, like this is five years of each other. Oklahoma, Death of a Salesman, Street Cranium Desire, um, even All My Sons, Glass Menagerie, South Pacific, it, right? Like, these are it work- hurts me to include Oklahoma <laughs> in that list. <laughs> I, I mean, I think you're wrong though. I think that, I think in that case you're wrong um, because I think that these are like works that have like, that like, ch- like, that defined American theater and they were written in such close proximity to each other, right? Can I ask real quick? So yeah. what for you, Josh, is so powerful about Oklahoma? Again, I will couch this in like, I think it's, dip- so I think, I, I think it, it really changes how we see musicals. It really changes how we, how they are plotted. It changes how, um, how story arcs are incorporated, what songs do to stories. Um, it, you know, it really, uh, that songs can be dreary and sad and like ruminating, um, but serve the plot, you know, that they don't have to be these like sappy saccharine distractions. Um, I I think what's interesting and what's maybe different about like, I I think a distinction is I think that Death of a Salesman and Street Cranium Desire 50 years later are like still the best, right? Like, I think they like set a standard that like others try to match. And if you're really good, you like come close to it. I think what's different about Oklahoma and South Pacific is I think they're also very good in their own right and certainly very interesting when you contextualize them and the time they are written. But I think they're more like works that like did set the building blocks for other work that was really cool. But it is like interesting birth of a that, nation. But both, but sure. both of these... But both these musicals have taken on a different life in different forms. You know what I mean? Because I just think of like where you see the songs from each one showing up in different mediums. You know, like I was I, surprised that I knew so many of the songs from these two musicals. Yeah, I think I think this is musicals. the American Songbook too. I mean, these songs yeah. are great, and I think they're they're more versatile. Like, I, okay, I'm going to play one more song. So from Oklahoma, this revival that like. I think you can make these songs feel really modern um, with some different orchestrations and it talks about the real quality. So this is a song called People Will Say We're In Love, which is sort of this like, oh, don't like do this. Don't, don't hold my hand. People will say, and, and I think um, in the revival, they really make it very like sexually potent in a way that I don't think it probably was written, but um, they've revised the, the text this way. How well do you think the songs hold up now? 
you know, there are. I think that's a great song. I mean, we have like um, early rock and roll. Just a few years later, we have you know sixties music. A few years later, and those songs are still so much a part of like cultural consciousness and and listen to you know will re-enter the charts at time so it um, seems a little unfair oh i mean uh but, is, you know this ariana grande song that has a million two hundred thousand listens on spotify is a direct reference and sampling of roger hammerstein's song <laughs> She's uh, so that is a, that music. Music. a music. You know, actually, um, one of one of the certainly the best known. I don't know. One of the most famous soccer anthems, like songs sung by soccer fans mm-hmm. at a stadium, is the song sung by fans of Liverpool Football Club, one of the biggest soccer clubs in England and Europe. And that is a song um, that was covered in in the 60s by a, a Liverpool sound group, but it was a cover of a song from a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical carousel. Mm. You never walk alone. So, okay. so perhaps, I mean, I think perhaps I'm answering my question that it, they I, do still I, I have think cultural you, relevance. I think what you do see is like the explosion of like cultural imperialism of America and you know that idea of the American songbook and mostly in musicals, how much of this shit permeates like different mediums across the world. Wait, you know, I think in a different way than just like a, a simple play would. And I think it's the power of music that offers something that a traditional play just doesn't. And I, yeah, I. I mean, and I I mean think- Arthur Miller is still produced in many, many of his work is still produced on English plays to this day. Absolutely. I can't imagine yeah, absolutely. many no, no, Rodgers no, no, and Hamilton no, no, plays are produced. But what I'm talking about oh, is you. Oh, but a ton. Are you kidding? In London. But I think I. Yeah, it's all over the place. The point I'm trying to make okay, real quick is mind. that you take a song like- from one of the, the musicals and it turns into so many different iterations, you know what I mean? Like you could talk about how like John Coltrane did, you know, versions of my favorite things or how many people have taken Surrey uh, with the fringe on top and have recreated it in different ways. And I feel like- really? oh, I yeah. mean, I'm talking about sexual. That's not really the one I should have played. That one is, is dripping in sex. You make it one I mean, more. You know, that one was in When Harry Met Sally. You know, so many jazz okay. musicians cover it. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, um, you sort of picked well, a terrible example, Chris, because I do think that, like, if you move ahead, like, 15 years, like, starting in the 60s, like, the numbers from musical, like, this is a time where, like, the American musical and popular music are so intertwined. Intersect. Right? Yeah. yeah. In a way that, like, they ne- like they never came back from that, right? Like again, like maybe Hamilton. I mean, maybe rock. I mean, Jesus Christ Superstar and Hair were were big albums. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there's these moments. Where it's like this was really time. Like 
not just one song, like the entire soundtrack was like, everyone had it in their homes. And there was a lot of talk. It was a couple of years ago when the, the revival of Oklahoma was up, right? Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, people, I mean, people were talking about that. It was, it was like a, a darker version. So Is that two, Yeah, I mean, I, I think, so there, there's been several revivals of Oklahoma. There was a London production in early 2002 that had Hugh Grant. That um, <laughs> Hugh Jackman. Uh, Hugh Jackman, sorry, thank you. Okay, Hugh, Hugh Jackman. Jackman. And um, it like that was a traditional production of Oklahoma, but like was more like less cartoony, kitschy more, maybe. Oh, less cartoony. Okay. Yeah, less kitschy, more like more grounded. Um, this one was more like it was more experimental. It was sort of contemporary. It was darker. It was sexier. It was like stripped down. I, I saw the closing performance of it. It was really cool. Um, is that, I asked because like, is that kind of your dream production of this too? Or kind of playing up the darker? I don't, yeah, maybe. Elements? I don't know if like, I have a dream, like, like, I, I think that there could be something interesting, right, around this. Like, I think um, if we're really playing with it, like, I think I would be interested in watching like, like a post-colonial interpretation of this, like mm. where like the the American like the, like American imperialism is sort of like subtext in this, but it's not like talked about, sort of understood to be like the the right thing, the good thing. So I would I would like one where that is I think put a little bit more on its head. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I've I like I'm also a sucker for just like a really well done classic musical like i, I think a, like a, i think a really like true production of this i think I would, as long as it was you know done um more or less be, i mean it'd be it'd be tough to ignore it i mean there was a 2008 broadway production i know because i listened to yeah that's uh, really, there's a great performance clip of, of like recording of it we should watch it um that was people loved it got raves I think, uh, so I switched back and forth. I, I listened to the 1949, I think, brought original recording too. And I think I preferred the orchestration of that original recording. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty, but, I would say that that revival is a pretty faithful one. It's not like the Oklahoma revival that's really like doing crazy shit with it. Um, um, yeah. What, do you have a dream production of this, Chris? Um, I mean, from seeing Oklahoma and and hearing about that production at the time, I had no interest whatsoever in seeing it. Now I think it it may have been a, a cool introduction to these type of musicals, and so I would think I would want, um, yeah, to. I think it does have dark undertones. Um, I mean, I think all their work the, does. Like, really. I mean, I think, you know. Like the misogyny, the the racism, the, the violence. Like, it could, you could, um, you could make them into kind of anti-heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, Emil and, and Cable. Um, and, and play around with, uh, 
what's the lady, the main lady, the teacher called, or the nurse called? Uh, Nellie. Nellie, yeah. Um, so I, I suppose that, and I would maybe, and uh, I would like to hear like a more contemporary, and I don't mean contemporary, musical contemporary, but more like contemporary sound orchestration. Perhaps you write stripped down. Mm -hmm. uh, what about you? What would your dream production of Sabbath be? I mean, I love the one from 2008 with Reba McIntyre and Alec Baldwin. <laughs> that one, because I, I saw like that version of it. Um, that one's great. But I would love it if you had it with them, but actually did it in a malaria-infested island in the South Pacific. That would be great. Who would you be? I, I think, John, uh, John, you would be Billings. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, I would be Cable. Yes. I don't think you'd be Blake. <laughs> um, you'd be the French plantation owner, dude. Come on now. Um, and I think I'd be like one of Nelly's friends. Like, yeah, wash that man out of your hair. Um, I did just watch um, a movie. It was kind of fitting for this time. Where I saw Hail Caesar, the Coen Brothers movie. Mm. Have you seen that? I haven't, but I, I know of it, yeah. Um, so it's set in probably like early 50s or around 50s music in a, a Hollywood studio. Um, one of the movies that's being filmed is a musical and I didn't pick up on the reference at the time but they have a song sung by sailors called No Dames that is clearly a reference to there's nothing like a dame there's nothing like a dame I think I think that one is actually more uh, a take on is that one what's the one What's the one with Frank Sinatra, the Navy one, on the town? Yeah. I don't know, because I've seen Hail Caesar, and I feel like the, that number oh. is, is more kind of in line with that one, but maybe it's both. Well, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's both. Um, the, the movie really plays up the homoeroticism of the song. Do you think there's anything in there in, in this original? I mean, I think absolutely. Like, what are these, like, in real life, what are these men doing on this island? Like, no dames, like, walking around, like, in the stage direction, they're, like, walking around, like, caged animals. Like, I think there's some, maybe that's my dream production. Like, <laughs> the village people. <laughs> um, and, like, Liad is a, a beard. Um, uh, all right, next week we read a play I don't know anything about. It's called The Shrike. Um, I think it's another, it's about medicine. Uh, two years ahead, we're in 1952 next time. <sighs> um, and we'll tell you more about that later. I am white. It is, uh, it is the day after election day, so we're all a little. Um, and two of us live in Philadelphia, although only one of us voted. <laughs> I voted in Philadelphia too. Oh, you did? Absentee? Yeah. Mailed? Yeah. Great. Thank you. I know Joe Jorgensen really appreciates that vote. Who's that? The Libertarian candidate. Who <laughs> 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 called right. Social Security a Ponzi scheme? I didn't even I didn't even know who it was. I just saw L I B and I put down yes. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. All right, folks. Uh, <laughs> it's been it's been an enchanted evening. <laughs> oh. Okay. Say good night. Good night. Good night. Uh...